I'm Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theatre Company, and I'd like to welcome you to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theatre Company podcast series on all things theatrical. Uh, This summer, Burning Coal, as part of its second stage series, Wait Till You See This, is teaming up with the Contemporary Art Museum, CAM, in downtown Raleigh uh, to present three really old plays. (laughs) They are very uh, old. They are uh, uh, the Greek plays of Sophocles, Oedipus, Oedipus at Colonus, and Antigone. And uh, we have um, brought uh, Alex Toby, uh, who is a Raleigh native, back to uh, his old stomping grounds to work uh, on directing the three plays for us at CAM. Alex, welcome today. Thank you so much, Jerry. I'm honored to be here. Thank you, and we're honored to have you. Um, I'm uh, I'm sort of joking about the the age of the plays. Uh, they certainly are old, and that I think is is how most people perceive that material. But um, you're staging them in a very modern, I think, in, interpretation. Uh, of the play. Can you talk a little bit about the, the, the value of these plays uh, to today's audience? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, these definitely are, you're definitely right when you say that they're old. They're probably three of the oldest surviving plays that we have. Right. Um, but what that means is that they're kind of the foundation of modern drama right. as we look at them. So much of what we know about tragedy and politics and dramatic structure really kind of comes from these plays. Um, but we are, though, to give him some new light, so we're looking at three new adaptations, though, mm-hmm. um, that I worked on with Ian Finley. Right. Bur- Burning Coal Regular. Yes. Um. <laughs> Almost, uh, you could say, the house dramatist, in a, in a way. House dramatist at Burning Coal. Yeah. Um, so there are these three brand new contemporary adaptations that we're looking at. Um, Oedipus and Oedipus at Colonus will be the first time we've ever looked at these adaptations. Um, so they're old, but they're brand new in that respect. Um, and so one of the things, too, that we focused on a lot with these plays is kind of connecting them all with one thread. Uh, you know, Sophocles wrote these three plays to be performed on three separate occasions. Uh-huh. Um, three separate occasions for three separate audiences who already knew the stories. Um, so there's all these weird inconsistencies in the way that Sophocles wrote them to make them seem as kind of three separate plays for three separate times. I see. Um, so one of our big goals, too, in adapting them uh, for a 2017 audience in the, you know, the binge-watching age Mm-hmm. Um, it's to make these characters consistent throughout these three, figuring out an arc that all these characters are going on from one play to the next, so that over the course of these three hours, we're really kind of looking at one big epic story mm-hmm. as opposed to three micro stories. I am going to steal your uh, binge watching idea <laughs> and incorporate that now, um, hopefully uh, subtly, into our marketing campaign. So thank you for that idea. You're welcome. Uh, but that really is what it is, and th- there's a sense of uh, the epic, uh, a sense of grandeur um, in this the the arc of the the piece. Can you just tell us? Without going into too much detail, what what these three plays are about? What did Sophocles mean to communicate with the plays? What was on the minds of the the Greek citizens at the time that caused them to be interested in these plays? Do you think? I mean, I wasn't there in Greece, so I don't know if I can necessarily speak one hundred percent to that. Um, but looking at them now in this context, I mean, they're all very much about three strong three strong rulers three flawed rulers that we consider Antigone a ruler or a leader mm-hmm. between Oedipus, Antigone, and Creon. Right. Um, three strong, flawed leaders with a very single focus. And, when, and the conflict of these comes in is when these strong, singular focuses intersect with each other. Mm-hmm. And none of the three of them are ever wrong, which is one of the things I love about these new adaptations that Ian did, 
is that even even Creon, we identify with and empathize with 100%. We know where he's coming from. He's the antagonist only because he conflicts with Antigone so much. Um, right. Um, Creon um, uh, is the, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people think of him as the bad guy in mm-hmm. that, that last play, Antigone, which I guess is the most well-known, really, of the, the three plays, certainly the most produced but he's really not. I mean, his argument, uh, certainly in the way that Ian has given voice to him, yeah. his argument makes uh, total sense, and, and it's hard to argue against it. Um, just so the listeners will know, we, we actually had uh, Ian do that particular play's adaptation last year, and we took it on tour this spring. We took it around to some mm-hmm. of the high schools and colleges in the area, and it was very interesting to see from one um, school to the next, how the the, the kids responded to his uh, argument versus uh, Antigone's argument. And interestingly, it had uh, something, I think, to do with the delivery of the piece. The more um, kind of down-to-earth and, and um, uh, humorous uh, the, the actor playing Creon made his argument, the more the kids uh, supported it. Yeah. And, and I was watching this and thinking, well, you know, gosh, his argument is the same. You know, it's the same uh, uh, points, uh, viewpoints, uh, but uh, uh, why, why are they so different? Why are the responses so different based on how it's delivered? Mm-hmm. And, of course, I think that may be part of the, the story of, of that play, um, if not all three of the plays, yeah. uh, that, that substance and, and uh, form are, are not... Uh, Equated, but that one uh, is often supported by the other. Yeah, totally. Uh, in politics, especially, but maybe in life as well. I mean, <laughs> I mean we, we are sitting in a theater as we <laughs> as we talk about that. Uh, tell me, uh, Alex, you're from Raleigh originally. You grew I up am. In yeah. This area? yeah. I, so I moved here when I was I was born in Connecticut, and then moved here when I was one. So for all intents and purposes, have lived here my whole life. Um, yeah. yeah, good. And you w- you went to uh, the the Ligon Inlow. Uh, yep. Uh, arts magnet school yep. uh, track, I guess. Yeah, I went to Hunter too for elementary school. Okay, since kindergarten, so I've been. I did that whole Hunter Ligon and Low track. And how that does whole time. how does that happen? Like, uh, like were your parents interested in the arts, or did you wake up one day and say, uh, "I'm not, uh, you know, actually going to make any money in my life. I'm going to do <laughs> at what age I four. Love. <laughs> yeah, at age exactly. four, I said, "Get me into the arts." Um, no, I mean, I'd always been interested in um, performing. Because I, I definitely started out as an actor when I was younger. And that's, we'll probably get into this in a minute, but that's how I started working with Burning Cole, yeah. was first as an actor, like in middle school. Right. Um, so I'd always been interested in the arts, going to see shows. Um, that was also really important to my mom when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. For me, my brother, and my sister, is she took us, she took us to play, she took us to story time at the library, she took us to all kinds of performing arts and exposed all of that to us very young. Why? Um... I don't know. I think she wanted to give us a well-rounded exposure to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you see that. I'm, I'm one of three siblings, and my brother and sister could not be more different than me. Mm-hmm. We're, all, we're all very passionate about whatever we've latched onto, but in completely opposite paths. My sister goes to school for engineering. Mm-hmm. My brother works 
for Google, mm-hmm. like programming apps. Mm-hmm. So we're all very on three wide ends of the spectrum. And I think it's because we yeah. all get exposed to everything. But there's there's a creativity involved in all three of those activities, yeah. uh, I would think. Yeah. Are you the youngest? The, oldest? the oldest. The oldest of yeah. the three, really. Interesting. Um, and so uh, uh, after uh, Inlow, uh, you went off to college. Um, tell me about that. Well, yeah, so I actually finished high school at the North Carolina School of the Arts right, in Winston-Salem. The senior year. So I did my senior year there, yeah. um, which was great because it was kind of like a pre-college yeah. college experience. Yeah. I was away from home, on a college campus, um, and in a way that year really solidified theater is what I want to do. I can mm-hmm. see myself at a conservatory setting. I can commit you know, 14 hours a day yeah. to doing theater and to you know, pursuing this. Um, were you so able I, to work with the, the college uh, students at, when you were there? A little bit. It's pretty segregated, yeah. um, both in terms of curriculum and also just liability. You know, you want to separate those high school students from idea. Yeah, yeah. the college students yeah. Um, yeah. and really only have them working together in those controlled environments. Right. Um, so a little bit, but we definitely you know, saw all the college shows. Mm-hmm. Um, we had like master classes with the faculty there. Um, got to know, towards the end of the year, got to know... Mm-hmm. Uh, the college students a little bit. Yeah, and uh, and then uh, college for you was Carnegie Mellon. Yes, Is that right. How, tell us about that experience uh, in Pittsburgh. It was fabulous. I had a great time at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, one of the things that really drew me to Carnegie Mellon is that a I was a director from day one, so it was a four year directing program, right. and I was in directing class my first semester there in the fall. Mm-hmm. So that was really exciting. Carnegie Mellon also does a lot of. Um, you know, more experimental, more out there theater in addition to the classics. They really kind of cover this broad spectrum, are really supportive of the directors, the designers, the actors. They also have the strong, a super strong musical theater program. So they really cover this wide variety uh-huh. of theater that happens there and really support everyone's individual interests. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, you were a, a fellow there while you were there, is that correct? Or? So kind of. So the both the undergrad and the grad directing programs are technically the John Wells directing program. Mm-hmm. So technically only the MFAs are the John Wells fellows. But so I was still in the John Wells program. Okay. We had, we had another intern, uh, Stephen Eckert, yeah, who, yeah. who became a fellow uh, in the, I think the MFA program mm-hmm. uh, immediately after you, I don't know if you, if your, your paths crossed at all. Uh, they, not officially, but I met him. You I, was, I was back in Pittsburgh. Yeah. His first year was after I graduated. I found a, I found out the other day listening to a podcast. Interestingly enough, a very, very interesting connection. You know that idea of six degrees of separation mm-hmm. from everyone in the world. Well, um, it turns out that uh, Aaron Sorkin, who we were just talking about, who wrote The West Wing, uh, that John Wells produced uh, and wrote, uh, uh, you know, a number of other uh, fantastic. Um, movies and television shows mm-hmm. and, and things. His first play in New York was produced at the West Beth Theater Center, which may not even exist anymore, but it was kind of a dive down in the West Village. Uh, but the uh, house playwright at the time was Louis Black. You know, the comedian, yeah. the guy who screams all the time, <laughs> he gets very angry about everything. Louis Black was the house playwright, and he read this play, this one act that Aaron Sorkin had written, and he decided to produce it and gave him his start, and Sorkin got his agent from that. So, Through that. So Louis Black <laughs> created, uh, uh, sort of fa- found uh, Aaron Sorkin. And, uh, the, but the connection is that Louis Black was... Fred Corlett's roommate in college, and they used to produce plays together at UNC back in the 60s and, and early 70s when our... Incredible. Uh, 
For those of you who don't know, Fred is one of our uh, company members who's been in many, many things over the years at, uh, at Burning Coal, including our recently completed Kids Ride series. So, so yeah, so Aaron Sorkin is now two degrees removed from Burning Coal, which I think is not a, not a small, uh, small thing to keep in mind. Um, so um, anyway, uh, so after uh, Carnegie Mellon, that was, you finished there last year? Uh, two year, years ago. Two years ago, okay. Yeah. And then it was on to New York City? On to New York, right? yeah. So I've been there two years now. <clears throat> a lot of a lot of young people today uh, go uh, to to big metropolitan areas uh, as a group, uh, right? They, the two or three or mm-hmm. four of their graduating uh, friends uh, will head up together and sort of create their own work. Is that is that something you've been doing so far? How, how have you been approaching your career since you got to New York? I mean, it's it's tricky. They so they told us in school that it takes you ten years minimum to really like get any career as a director. Yeah, um, just because there's no real set path for that, which I'm sure you know too. You know, I feel like a lot of other paths in the arts, it's kind of a set path. You know, actors, you know, you graduate, you go on auditions, you look for an agent, and you audition from there. Um, Designers, there's a whole lot of other work, you know, you can do, even if you're not designing, you can assist, you can do drafting, Mm -hmm. you can go to load-ins and load-outs. And, like and there's meet a, people and go from there. And there's a list of usual suspects yeah. with uh, with design, especially at the Broadway and off Broadway level. But in New York, the directors are uh, plentiful, and, mm-hmm. and almost everything you see is has a different a director's name attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the other th- the other problem there for young directors, I think, is that so much of the stuff being done at the highest level is British, you know, is coming mm-hmm. over from, from England, and so how in the world do you get into the room with, uh, uh, you know, with Sam Mendes or yeah. some, somebody like that who's uh, 3,000 miles away? Yeah. So it's a tricky <clears throat> balance that I'm still figuring out. And so what I'm trying to do is, you know, split my time between directing my own things mm-hmm. and then assisting. Yeah. Because um, assisting is a lot of the time how you, how you meet those people. Right. Um, you know, you, you're getting to work with this established director at probably like a bigger theater. Right. Um, so you meet a lot of people doing that, but also at the same time, spending half of my time directing my own things, um, whether it's here in New York, all mm-hmm. over. So I'm still keeping that craft alive, still figuring out who I am as a director. And I imagine seeing other people's work of uh, course, as yeah. often as possible. So, so then just to, because this is sort of uh, an interesting idea to me. Um, let's say that you've assisted um, pulling a name out of a hat, Sam Mendes, and then Mendes gets offered a project, and he says, "No, I've got three other things happening." Uh, have you heard of this guy, Alex Toby? Mm-hmm. Is that the way it works? I mean, is that the value of, of assisting, or is it about honing the craft? Or? Yeah, I mean, sometimes. I mean, I would. I don't think I'm quite at the place yet where I'm a direct replacement <laughs> for Sam Mendes. That yeah. if you're, that if they're considering him I don't think I'm going to be their second choice right um, so so what is that so what is that process then how do you get there is it you know if you're an actor you you will do a showcase mm-hmm. and you'll invite every agent in town and you know if you're really lucky one or two of them will show up and and if you knock them out of their chair with your talent then they'll sign you to to that and start working for you trying yeah. to get you roles how does it work for directors I mean, I'm still figuring that out. So if yeah. you so if you figure it out, tell me. Um, <laughs> we'll do another podcast. Uh. <laughs> we'll report back later. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, for me at least, what I found is the most useful is that... Um, so like in that hypothetical that you just said, that someone, you know, wants Sam Mendes and he yeah. can't do it. Right. Um, so like, I feel like less, less so of that example and more of 
a company is looking for someone to direct this like second stage thing or like to work with their acting students and yeah. so they ask Sam Mendes yeah. do you know any young directors right. that right. would be a good fit for this and, and you become somebody that's trusted uh, yeah. that they know uh, they can go to mm-hmm. uh, if they need to yeah, I guess or you assist Sam Mendes and one of the actors is doing yeah. another show yeah. and so you had a good relationship with this actor sure. while assisting him and then that actor says hey can come direct me in this yeah. or yeah work on this workshop with me. So it's all about relationships. Totally. It's uh, very much so. So can you tell us a couple of things that you have done up there, uh, things that are interesting, you know, that that you would would like to tell the audience about? So I guess the highlights. um, So from assisting. So I assist and directed the Tick, Tick, Boom revival Mm -hmm. last fall off-Broadway with Nick Blameyer, which was great. Jonathan Silverstein directed that. I just assistant directed Dustin Wills um, on Frontiers, Sands Frontiers, Philip House's new play, The Bushwick mm-hmm. Star. Um, from a directing standpoint, I directed and developed. Um, so I'm developing this entire series of <laughs> of <laughs> pop bio concerts, of looking at these pop stars um, and kind of telling their story using oh, their words. Bio. I was thinking like. Biodegradable. You mean like, biography. like a biography? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So biographies of pop stars. Yeah. So uh, in of, concert. Yeah. So t- telling their stories through their music. What a fabulous idea. Um, through their music, through their own words, and kind of finding the overlap between, you know, the pu- the published art and then the personal life behind mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So we did the first one at Here Arts Center in August, I think, of last year. Yeah. Was all about Rihanna. So it was this 80-minute Rihanna concert. We had an actress playing Rihanna um, that basically like shifted through time and space, covering her entire career from the beginning. Ron, Rihanna's old enough to have a, a, an entire career. Oh, right? totally. Really? She's, well, I mean, she's not, she's not old enough. She's young. She's like 28, maybe, yeah. 29. Yeah. Super young. Like I said. <laughs> <laughs> but has had, I think, like seven or eight albums. That's has true. been around forever. Has yeah. had so many different music style changes and like fashion style changes that yeah. she's covered so many different eras yeah um yeah and i'm so i'm interested and this i feel like this is a kind of a segue back to the greeks is that one of the things i'm really interested in is looking at other events as theater mm-hmm. um and kind of theatricalizing things like events and audience experiences that aren't necessarily theater so in that case it was all set up as a concert right. so it was a concert that kind of turns into a play right accidentally right. um the, yeah. Uh, the, speaking of uh, that idea, the the Greeks is being presented at the Contemporary Art Museum. You and I had looked at, at a couple of different spaces, mm-hmm. um, non traditional spaces. Can you talk a little bit about CAM about what it's uh, pr- uh, bringing to the table or infusing in the work right now? Yeah, totally. So everything. So right now, there's two main exhibits that the show takes place around. Um, so even just seeing these plays in context of there's these like contemporary Disney princesses yeah. they're kind of defying these old antiquated notions of femininity um, and being presented in 2017 context and Antigone takes place around that right. um, which is really exciting there's also this entire um, other exhibit that Oedipus takes place in front of which is all of these um, it's these sculptures I'm not going to describe it in good words Mm -hmm. um but it's these kind of abstract sculptures composed of black wooden remains Mm -hmm. that are kind of piled up um behind this press conference that oedipus takes place at so just from a comparing like that art 
to the art of the plays. Like there's these immediate parallels, and it's interesting looking at the backdrop of an actual art exhibit as mm-hmm. opposed to the backdrop like of a set. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of immediately connects it back to our real life. The the black um, um, sort of dystopian yeah. world uh, is is very. Uh, like what what I would imagine a, a set for uh, uh, Oedipus might uh, might look like. It really really informs it. What about the building itself? Is yeah. the building? Uh, I know there's some limitations there. The, uh, the the acoustics are not as good maybe as they might be here at this theater. But what what is it bringing uh, to positively toward the production? Yeah. Do you think? I mean, one of the things in general that I love about doing theater not in a theater Mm -hmm. is that it kind of as an audience it throws out all of my expectations Mm -hmm. for how to see a play right like any any seasoned theater goer kind of knows how to see a play you you buy your ticket online you check in at the box office you get your ticket you get your program Mm -hmm. you sit there's an intermission you go to the bathroom you finish the show you get your your coffee at intermission yeah there's there's a blackout at the end you applaud you go home yeah like we know how to do that Right. But as soon as we see a play, whether it's in an art museum, or it's in a park, or it's in a parking lot, like, I at least don't know how to do that. Right. So it's up to us as the artists and the theater makers there to kind of reinvent all of the rules, mm-hmm. which immediately puts the audience in a place of trust, openness, and excitement that we're here. You tell us what to do. You tell us where to sit. You tell me how to experience the show. And so you as an audience kind of have to be open and willing to receive that. Mm-hmm. Um, which is exciting and I think we do a lot of that in the Greeks we also travel throughout so we go from the lobby into the main gallery down into the street gallery and then down into this lower level basement gallery so there's a descent uh, there's this total descent as we go deeper and deeper into the museum we kind of go deeper and deeper into um, like the conflict in this meddling politics as they're kind of going down this rabbit hole mm-hmm. and the seating configuration is different yeah. for each of them too so so you're not necessarily uh, seeing the actors from the same perspective or, or participating in the community mm-hmm. uh, that is an audience in the same way that you, that you saw the one yeah. before, right? Each of the plays runs, I, I'm going to guess, about 55 minutes mm-hmm. apiece, something like that. Yeah. There's an interesting story I'll, I'll uh, bore you with. Uh, uh, Adrian Hall, when he first came to Trinity Rep in Providence, I had this wonderful idea. Uh, he said, I don't want um, uh, any uh, s- individual seats to be sold. Uh, if you subscribe to our season, you simply get to enter the space five minutes before the rest of the audience, and that's hmm. how we'll get people to subscribe. And people would show up at the door, and, you know, standing there cl- waiting uh, for the space to open, and then they would, when the doors finally opened, they would go running into the space and, and try to figure out at that moment hmm. where the best seat would be to watch the play. You know, yeah, so yeah. you saw people sort of uh, assessing the space uh, in in that moment, and then later the rest of the audience would come in and do the same thing, pretty mm-hmm. much. And and I thought that was a fabulous idea, uh, a sort of an, an egalitarian idea, but also just an idea that asked the audience to to take in the environment of the the the, the whole world, not just that painted mm-hmm. uh, you know picture up on the set. That yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and of course their space was flexible, so that it was always configured differently for their shows anyway. But uh, but then he dropped that after the first year because I think because of liability issues or <laughs> complaints from uh, members of the audience who wanted quote unquote their seat 
uh, yeah. uh, you know, to be available each time. And so um, uh, <clears throat> the uh, the middle brows won again, but at <laughs> least for one one moment th- that was the case. Uh, um, the cast. Um, I had the good fortune of seeing a run-through of the Greeks uh, last Saturday and and was just uh, astonished by the work the actors are already doing on it. Uh, the, do you want to talk a little bit about the actors at all who are working with you on the piece? or You don't have to name all the names, but if there are a couple of people that, that you're interested in talking about. Do yeah, uh, sure. So we're doing the... So there's a cast of nine mm-hmm. um, in this whole extravaganza. So there's two members of the chorus who are kind of our narrators, who guide us through the whole thing. Yeah. And then the remaining seven play all the other roles. Yeah. I think it's just Antigone, Ismene, and Creon who are the same in all three. Right. Because I should know this. Yeah, I think yeah, that's right. I think yeah. it's, so it's just Antigone, Ismene, um, and Creon who are the same throughout the whole thing. Um, and then the other four actors play different characters throughout the three plays. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, is there anyone in particular you, you want to bring up? or? Well, I've... Uh, I, you I don't know, want to single people out. I could talk about this fabulous cast yeah, yeah. for um, hours. So We, uh, we love uh, uh, Ellie Barone, who's doing mm-hmm. Antigone. Uh, she did it uh, in the schools tour as well with a different Creon. <clears throat> and so... And I saw her working in a different way mm-hmm. uh, uh, the other day than she had worked before, yeah. uh, not just because of the new actor, but because of the new environment, too. She had been on big high school auditorium mm-hmm. stages and stuff, and so her work is very uh, very much more subtle, I think. Yeah. It was quite good there, but but here it's just uh, just breathtaking. Yeah, and she's fabulous. I've known her for a while. Have you? So it was great. I never... Yeah, I think I... Because we, years and... So she was in, I assistant directed Boeing Boeing at Hot Summer Nights a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and she was in that. Um, we also, we didn't go to high school together, but like knew each other when we were both performing. We were both in the countywide Les Mis together uh-huh. um, back in like 2005 or whenever that was. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've known her for forever, and this is such a joy. I'm just having trouble seeing her in Les Mis somehow. That doesn't seem seem. She right. was Cosette, I think. Uh, was she? I think so. She's got. She can sing too. Damn oh, it! Oh, she's got a great voice. The word is out. Sorry, Ellie. <laughs> well, okay, um, and uh, and and then uh, you know, just to sort of wrap up, I guess, Alex, what uh, what's next for you? What are you? Uh, what do you what do you want uh, that ten year period at the end of that ten year period? What do you want your life to look like? Oh, that's so tough. Um, so I guess like what's immediately next for me is I'm going back. Um, I have a residency with the Drama League in New York Good. to work on this new um, adaptation and production of Brex Ball. Yeah. Um, so we're working on that in September. Where will that be done, or will it be done? So it's just it's just a workshop. So we're just yeah. workshopping it. Um, and it's going to be at the Drama League in who's New York. The, who's the writer? Um, so I'm working with the writer, working with a dramaturg uh, named Moss Madigan, who's fabulous. Uh, and the playwright is Dan Giles, okay. um, who both of them I went to school with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Good. Good. And then uh, down the road, you know, where, so let's say that <clears throat> the people at Carnegie Mellon were right and, and after 10 years your career is sailing <laughs> along. Uh, what will it look like? What, what do you want uh, to, to contribute to the world? Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested in, I'm really interested in doing a lot of new plays. I love working on plays from like the earliest stages with playwrights, mm-hmm. like developing them through workshops all the way up through... Um, Full production, and you've been doing that with Ian on this mm-hmm. on the Greeks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
and I've been doing a lot of that both when I was at school and with young playwrights in New York too. Um, so I love that. So hopefully in 10 years I'll be doing a lot of um, new play development with young, hot playwrights that I really like gel with. Um, I also love, we've talked about this a lot too, like theater in theater that's not theater, whether it's a concert or a meal or kind of how theater can pop up at places that aren't necessarily theater mm-hmm. um, and kind of combining these different mediums together. So you see a lot of that. You see yourself running a, a theater at some point? Not yet, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now I love, I could. Uh-huh. Right now I feel like I, mean, I can barely like manage my own life <laughs> and like my own work, yeah. not to mention... You like, simply have to give up your own life. <laughs> like, not not to mention the lives of a staff and all the artists on shows and right. like right. doing all of that. Yeah. Um, but I mean someday, yeah. potentially, yeah. Good. Uh, who are your, um, who, who are your uh, role models? In theater or in all of the above? Yeah. Um, I mean, directors I really admire are... Um, oh God! Um, like uh, Trip Coleman, uh, Davis McCollum, um, Alex Timbers, mm-hmm. um, like three really smart directors who always are clear and hip and bring this exciting, exciting theatricality to all their work. Yeah, um, yeah. they're all New York, New York based mm-hmm. directors. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, that's good. Maybe you'll uh, assist some of them uh, in the next those next ten. I would years. love to if they're yeah. listening. Yeah. Well, uh, we love having you here, Alex. It's uh, since you were. I, th- I think the first thing you did with us was Way to Heaven years ago, or did you do something before that? I think I. Fr- I was going through this the other day. I forget the chronology of it all, but I did because I was in that. I did an Oakwood play or two. Mm-hmm. I think that might have actually been first. Okay. Before Way to Heaven. Yeah. Um, I did a Kids Right one time. I was in a couple of kids' right plays. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember what was first, but yeah. I covered all of those grounds. <laughs> and then you brought, a, you brought a company of actors in and did the Columbinus here when you were still in high school, weren't you? I did, you? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I remember It was that. the summer before my senior year at Burning Coal. Yeah. Or in the Burning Coal Theater. Yeah. Yeah, and that was a fabulous production. Uh, well, it's been great talking with you today. I'm looking forward to the Greeks very much. Me too. Uh, they run uh, June 9th through 25th at the Contemporary Art Museum, which is located at 409 West Martin Street. Uh, Parking's a little tight over there right now because of some construction going on. So if you're going to the shows, which are Thursday and Friday, sorry, let me say that again, Friday and Saturday at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 2 p.m., except for the 11th when there will be no performance, uh, then do leave yourself 15 minutes or so extra to get to the uh, space because you'll need to park in a parking deck a couple of blocks away or find street parking. And uh, so it's a good idea to leave yourself a little bit of extra time. Um, burningcold.org is our website. 919-834-4001 is our phone number. If you'd like uh, further information about the Greeks and Alex Toby, thank you very much for doing this. Thank you for having me.